This is a Mainstam Musings original podcast. Enjoy. Hello and an eighth welcome to a more expletive-filled fan dissection podcast. Today's guest is Chelsea fan Raf Marioni, who is unashamedly honest about the club's reputation. A playground bastion of the Blues in his younger years, Raf has some very strange and interesting reasons for supporting Chelsea. This is one of my favourites, with plenty of footballing anecdotes to keep you entertained. Enjoy and turn off if you're not into colourful language. Hello, Raf, and welcome to the Fan Dissection Podcast. You're here as an honourable representative of, of Chelsea Football Club, and welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Spross, uh, in this lockdown period. It's a pleasure to connect via the interweb and discuss my favourite club, so thanks for having me on. Let's start with a simple question. What does it mean to be a Chelsea fan? What does it mean? If I cough occasionally during this, it's because I've got a granola stuck in my throat. It's not because I've got coronavirus. I just like to, because I've got a cough coming. What, <laughs> what, is it, what does it mean to be a Chelsea fan? I think, obviously, the multiple elements. Obviously, the, the glaring one is that, in reality, our club, as we know it now, started in 2004, basically. And irrespective of whether you're not a fan of Chelsea or you're a diehard 50-year-old fan, that is the truth. Obviously, we have an interesting history. We have some incredible players for our history. But the club as we know it now is, is from the last sort of 15, 16 years. There are elements from the 90s and from the 80s which sort of played into how we got there. But the, the, the overriding element of being, what being a Chelsea fan at the minute is, first of all, dealing with the flack of, oh, your, your club started in 2004. And you can never really get rid of that point, nor can you. You just got to take that shit. And you know you have it. In the, you had it. You had it in the playground in primary school. You had it in secondary school, and you have it in the dying days. But I think that part of what it means to be a Chelsea fan means there's a lot of togetherness about. You don't really care what other people think at all. You love the shithousery of being a Chelsea fan. You love the fact that Mourinho shushes Liverpool fans. You love the fact that Diego Costa is a massive twat. But when he plays for you, he's unbelievable. So I think there's there's a there's a lot of element of you get so much stick for being successful and for heralding this new era of, of wealth into the Prem. But you sort of just have to take it and, and just enjoy it and also revel in the success and deal with the fact that people are going to massively dislike what you, what you as a club and you just you sort of enjoy it, really. So I think that's, that's probably what it means to be a Chelsea fan. I'd say it's quite, it's, you know, it's not, we haven't got a proud, glittering history. We've got some key touch points through the decades, which you can be proud of, but it's very much loving the last 15 years and dealing with people's, I want to say envy, because I'm a, because I'm, because I'm a Chelsea fan. I want, to, I want to call it envy, but I think it's probably warranted, the, the criticisms. Where does your love and passion for Chelsea come from? Why are you a Chelsea fan? So for me, it's always been a bit weird because the, the standard route, I think, for most young blokes getting into football is, is through dad, uncle, granddad it's a, or whoever mother it's a family connection and I never had that so I never had family connection no one in my family liked football they didn't really care about it they watched the world cup that was the level of sporting interest in my family so I didn't have that route in which meant that I essentially had to like discover it through dvds and highlights match of the day and world cup and then chose my team which I know a lot of people don't like the idea of 
and oh how convenient that you chose Chelsea for me personally how it sort of happened is fell in love with football age sort of five six watching the World Cup in 2002 you know seeing England's incredible squad and then from that I think my parents realized I was into football and was quite interested and at that time obviously you don't know what the hell's going on you just think it's really cool and really exciting but then just started watching match today on my Sunday mornings yeah, if Champions League on, on ITV, I didn't really know what the Champions League was, but it was like Real Madrid against Manchester United. That's really exciting. And then how I sort of reached Chelsea was in sort of like 2003, after the World Cup, and just watching loads and loads of match today. And this team was wearing a delicious royal blue. And I was like, oh, this, this, team's, this team's pretty cool. And we had Iodega Johnson up front with his incredibly bright blonde hair, of which I had bright blonde hair as a child. And we also had an Italian manager, and me being half Italian. As weird as it sounds, those sort of weird elements created a bit of a relationship and a bit of identity with it, a bit of something to relate to. Oh, look, they've got this striker up front who looks a bit like me, and he's just scored a bicycle kick against Bolton, which was the coolest thing I'd ever seen at that point. And they've got this old Italian manager who reminds me of my granddad. You know, so it's all those sort of different elements. And, I, and you just, I just sort of started watching them more and more paying more and more attention to them on, on highlight stuff. Mum would buy me the season review DVDs. That's how it happened, basically. It was falling in love with football at a World Cup and then going into weird elements of just seeing yourself in the club and seeing things that you quite liked, little touch points. It wasn't, oh, that Lampard's a good passer. It was, he's just scored a 30-yard screamer. How cool is that? I think, yeah, just that's how I sort of fell in love with Chelsea, really. So diving in, head first, eight years old, into everything Chelsea. How much of a Chelsea fan would you say you are now and how do you, much do you think it's fluctuated throughout the years? Yeah, I, feel, I feel like every kid, particularly ones without that family connection, have a period of a few years where you have your team, but you're also interested in just football as a whole. So I had like Manchester United season review DVDs and I wasn't supporting them, but I was just like, oh, I like Ruud van Nistelrooy and this is really cool. So I think the first few years, it was very much, you love football and Chelsea were my favourite. They weren't maybe even my team, but they were my favourite. And I think as I probably, probably as it got to about 2007, 2008, was when, as, you, as I got older, Chelsea was just everything. When you, you know, how old, I would have been 10 years old. It was just Chelsea, Chelsea, Chelsea. And that obviously, thankfully, coincided with the fact that we were also winning titles and we were about to reach Champions League final. And there is that element as well as when you're a kid and if your team's winning it's easier to support there's no doubt about it it's easier to give shit to your mates in the playground as they were giving shit to you because you have bragging rights if you're winning so certainly in those early years and I remember just being in absolute tears when Terry missed Terry slipped in Moscow and I think that probably was the moment where it was like this is this is my thing now and then I think all through the years then it was just huge fan. And I, unfortunately, I never got to go to games. I've only just been able to recently go to my first few in the last couple of years. But I never got to go to games when I was a kid. So it was very much just watching match today, watching as many live matches as I could when they were on ITV or FA Cup on BBC. But I was, yeah, I was just obsessed and frequently trying to watch them as much as I can. I was just falling in love with all these different players. When Michael Ballack was playing for Chelsea, oh my God, that's it's just unbelievable, just pinging in headers. Oh, and then I think. It fluctuated a bit when it co when I coincided with my life being more busy. So like when I went to university, even though I was still a massive fan, I was watching less. 
And I remember the season where we came 10th, which coincided with my first year at university. And, I, and it was obviously Leicester's winning season. And I remember just not watching much of that season at all. Usually I'd watch as much as I could, but I was following it, but just not really engaged with it that as much because it was just like, oh my God, they're doing terrible. I'm so busy at the same time. Leicester winning the league, what's going on? And also I was away from London as well. So I wasn't in London. I wasn't surrounded by a lot of my other Chelsea supporting friends. So a couple of years at university, it sort of slightly died down a bit in terms of just my engagement with it. For the last sort of two years, I think now, obviously particularly with our academy players, and we've got a very interesting narrative at the minute as well. Yeah, I'm sort of back being 10 years old and quite obsessed with it. So thinking about those years then when you weren't so much of a fan, and especially when you finished 10th, do you worry that it was because Chelsea weren't being successful as to why you weren't that interested? Possibly, yeah. I think that there's always an element as a football fan that, especially when you're used to success at such a young age, when you go through a bit of a tougher period, and when I say tough period, I know there's so many clubs out there that would still would look kill for a 10th Premier League finish. But I think when you have a year like that, it does sort of test you a bit, certainly. And you are sort of thinking, God, could I manage this if we got relegated? Or how do I see my, not even so much loyalty, because I always be a Chelsea fan, but almost my engagement with it, I think, and my just sheer obsession and passion as I get older and my life will be as busier. Hopefully I'll be able to go to games. And I think there was an element of, hmm, am I as interested because we're not winning? Maybe. Maybe, you know, we're not, we're barely doing well in the Champions League, which was always such a highlight when I was younger. So I think certainly there was a bit, there was a bit of a fear of feeling less interested because we we're just consistently churning out terrible performances and our squad was pretty uninteresting. Maybe it's an element of, there's some fans out there who would sit down, watch every game and just let it dictate their mood. Do you think your way of dealing with it, dealing with Chelsea being so far below par was just, I just don't want to engage with it because otherwise it's just going to get me down? Quite possibly, yeah. I think... I've never, and I don't, I don't know if I ever will be a football fan which dictates my mood because I, I was when I was a young kid, but I'm just not anymore at all, unless it's, a, unless it's a big game. And I think that also comes to the fact of being used to getting far in competitions and being challenging for titles. But unless it's a semi-final, quarter-final, whatever, um, or a big game against Arsenal United in the league, yes, I'll be irritated if West Ham beat us 2-1, but it's not going to ruin my weekend. But I think... And uh, there was an element of, well, we're doing pretty badly. There's nothing new that's happening. We're churning out incredibly average performances. Nobody in our team is performing particularly well. William was our best player that year. That was a tough year. And I th- so I think there was certainly uh, an element of what is the point in watching at the moment? I'm still following, but what's the point in me actually devoting two hours of my day or so to watch this when it is just going to be 1-1 against... Swansea, I can't remember who 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 were against the churning results out, but it was just it was less interesting. There was not much going on, and it was just a consistent average performances, which I think coincided with me just being like, "Well, I've got so much going on. I don't know if I'm really devoted to sit and watch because I'll still be able to consume the news and consume what's happened later on." Rewinding a little bit further back, then to when you were saying, you know, being able to brag in the in the schoolyard about the, the Chelsea successes. What was the the makeup at school? Was it some Chelsea fans, some other? Because you you grew up in North London, in relative London terms, quite far away from Chelsea. Hey, hey, say it's my face, Ross. <laughs> so, what what was the makeup then in school? What percentage were Chelsea fans? What other clubs were supported? It's always, it's always funny when I think about this, and I, I still don't really know why. So the biggest fans in my school were Arsenal United. Maybe that comes from the fact that, obviously, United were in the early noughties, 
I mean, forever, but also the early noughties were just unbelievable. Interestingly, for a North London school, very few Tottenham and Chelsea fans. There really were not that many. There are a couple of, I, I could think of two or three diehard Tottenham fans who to this day are going to all the away games, etc. And I know, I've known those since primary school. There are a couple of other Chelsea fans, but I was, I was probably sort of almost like the main Chelsea fan, if that makes sense, sort of the, the bastion of the Chelsea fans. If you wanted to talk shit about Chelsea, you'd go and talk to Raph and give him an earful. Yeah, so and, and there were quite a few, there were, shockingly, there were quite a few Liverpool fans as well. I despise Liverpool partly because Chelsea and Liverpool had such a rivalry in the Champions League in the early 2000s. And there were so many in my playground, so it was just constant back and forths in the, a bunch of eight-year-olds chatting absolute shite. As you'd expect, it was sort of top five clubs. It was a lot of Arsenal, Man United predominantly and a couple of Chelsea and Tottenham. It's interesting you speak about Liverpool there because we can, we can move on to rivalries here. There's loads and loads of rivalries with Chelsea to choose from, not least because you're a London club, so there's a ton close to you, but also because there's loads dotted around the country on the virtual just being a big club and a successful club, especially in recent years. For you, who would you pick out as your one biggest rival? Arsenal, without a doubt. Without a shadow of a doubt. They are the club that I despise and I hate. And it irritates me also that a lot of anyone outside Chelsea and Arsenal fans on the whole really quite likes Arsenal because of the incredible squads they had in 04 and Wenger and the amazing things they have done but oh fuck Arsenal I fucking hate them and I, and I, and I think again growing up I didn't, I didn't know a single reasonable Arsenal fan or a single sort of sensible Arsenal fan when it came to talking about football it wasn't just an annoying git so I think yeah Arsenal hands down hands down with, what was interesting with London is that so you speak to you speak to an older Chelsea fan, they'll feel very strongly about a West Ham rivalry, and just the Chelsea that I know, I've never really felt much of a rivalry West Ham at all. It's always very it's, it's you know it's it's slightly more heated than a game against another mid table side, but I don't feel it at all. But if you speak to an older bloke, an older Chelsea big fan, then West Ham is like the one. But for me, it's always always been Arsenal. If you speak to like a QPR or a Fulham fan, they'll say their biggest rivalry is with Chelsea. Yeah, absolutely. I suppose Brentford as well. With those West London rivalries, how do you see those? Do you see them as just insignificant? Again, to me, they're insignificant because, and that's part of being a top, top club. When, again, when QPR are in the Prem and when Fulham are in the Prem, it's slightly more interesting than, than an average Saturday game against Watford or whatever. But there is, for me personally, there is nothing. I couldn't care less about QPR doing well or not. I mean, to be honest, I, they don't seem like the nicest club in the world, so I think QPR could get fucked. But, you know, I've got a very close friend who, who is a Fulham fan, and he sort of treats it as a huge, huge game if we ever, like last season when they're in the Prem. He, it's a huge, huge game. But for me, it's we know we're going to beat Fulham, basically. The, the rivalries that we have are United, they're Liverpool, their Arsenal, their Tottenham. And even, you know, I'd get more stressed over a, a game against Barcelona or PSG than I would Fulham. Granted, Barcelona and PSG are a much different league to to the likes of Fulham with, with Stecklenburg in goal. But there is that element, like, we're fighting on different fronts. We're in the Champions League, we're at the top of the table. A game against QPR and Fulham, to me as a younger fan, is pretty insignificant. So how does it make you feel then if you say your biggest rival is Arsenal, but no doubt an Arsenal fan would say their biggest rivalry was, is with Spurs. How, how, how does that make you feel? Do you feel like 
And not that you're second best, because obviously I'm sure they do also hate you as well. But isn't it weird, that dynamic, that their biggest rival isn't you? Yeah, no, it's, I, you're, you're completely spot on. It is weird. And it's, you do sort of get a bit of, oh, really? Come on, hate us as much, you know, because, I, I, yeah, if you, I would say, I would think that you speak to any young Chelsea fan, Arsenal and Tottenham are the ones they hate the most. But, you, as you said, if you speak to any Arsenal or Tottenham fan, they hate each other. So you do almost feel slightly removed from that rivalry. And, you, and I don't think that, I think because of that, because it's not reciprocated, modern day Chelsea almost doesn't have that one rival. We've never had that Merseyside derby or that Tyne and Weir derby or that Manchester derby or the North London derby. Because when you look at a West London derby, it's QPR, it's Fulham, it's Brentford. You know, and the, the hatred that Arsenal have but Tottenham is more than they do for Chelsea. So you do almost feel slightly left out. And it, you, you almost feel a bit tragic because you're like, you're hating on a team and they don't care about you as much. It's like you're trying to make something out of nothing. So yeah, there is a bit of a, why can't they hate us as much? Again, looking at those historic rivalries, there's, there's only one other that I've picked out, which I think is kind of interesting. Is this weird rivalry between Chelsea and Leeds. I mean, a lot of clubs have rivalries with Leeds just for the nature of them being Leeds. <laughs> just because they despise Leeds, yeah. What's your experience of that rivalry, if anything? I mean, with, yeah, again, with, with Leeds, it's, it's very minimal. I think the only, the only, like, the time it comes from is the FA Cup final in 1970. I think when it went to, I think it went to a replay. I think it was a closely contested game and I'm not too well served on it, but I know that, I think that's possibly where it stems from or even it went back further than that. But for a young fan... They have that history. They are a great English club, but post 2005, they're not that. So I think for young fans like myself, they don't really fall into that equation. Last, I think last time we played them was in a League Cup game in the early 2010s. So yeah, I think for, to me, Chelsea Leeds just doesn't come into the equation at all. And I think also because it's, I see much more of a rivalry with a QPR Fulham if we're talking lower league or lower quality teams because they are also in London as well and they're close to vicinity. Let's talk about the bridge. How many games have you been to then? Oh, this, this is where I get absolutely called out and exposed. CFC hashtag fans going to call me out on Twitter or something like that. So my first ever game at the bridge was an under-21s game against Southampton where we lost 3-1. But in terms of, sort of first team games, I have been to only one game, which was against Carabag in the Champions League when we won. I think it was 6-0. I should, I should know this. I think it was 6-0. And I think Mitch Ibachiwai scored a hat-trick. And I remember having a go at Zappa Costa. God, do you remember when we had Zappa Costa? What a waste of a player he was. I was absolutely berating him from the shed end about just being shite. And then he went and scored a 30-yard cross goal. All the, all the fans around me just turned around and gave me a big point of the finger saying, ah, he's class, he's class, get off, you're a fool. Obviously, they were more expletives than that. So I think, yeah, the only game I've been to is Chelsea versus Carabag, which is a real shame, a big, big shame. I've actually been to more away Chelsea games than home Chelsea games. Interestingly, the first almost proper fan-like experience where I feel like a lot of people probably had at age seven with their dads was when I went to Newcastle Chelsea at St. James's Park. And it was the final game of the season two years ago. And we lost 3-0. And I was sat in the Gallagate rather than in the away end. So I was surrounded by probably 20,000 Newcastle fans as we went to lose 3-0. And that was the first time I probably like lived the struggle and the stress and the despair of football in a way. Because 
you know, I've had heartbreak and tears watching Chelsea games, but it's been on my sofa or it's been in a pub. But actually being in a ground surrounded by 40,000 Newcastle fans going berserk as their team wins 3-0 while we've just pulled out a dreadful performance. Ross Barkley in that game was toilet. That, and that was sort of always like the first time where I had a proper, proper football experience of just being embarrassed. So I've been to more away games than home games, but now I'm back in London and hopefully at some point soon I'll have the money to be going to the bridge far more often than I have been. It is a really interesting perspective to have because you remember your first home experience. Was it what you expected it to be? What were your impressions of the stadium? I absolutely loved it. I think because it was a Champions League night as well, it was buzzing. We had the, the free flags that you get given, which I saw on TV growing up. Everyone just wavered before the game and got managers on the touchline, go berserk, you got a hazard, just come back from injury. And when he came on with about 20 minutes left, it was amazing, amazing seeing this player that I've just eulogised for the last sort of six years or so from afar, from, from a TV, seeing him actually dance past players. And the atmosphere was great. I think there was, with any big club nowadays in football, and particularly Premier League football, there were people who were there because they can be and they weren't overly interested or passionate about it. Not saying that there were loads of foreign fans who travelled so far because I think they're far worthier fans than most people actually. But there was a lot of Chelsea fans who clearly go the whole time, aren't actually that interested. They probably just have sort of the money to do so and they have a half interest in Chelsea. So there was also an element of people not being too interested and just being there for the evening out. But again, that's not really a problem. And I think it still added to the atmosphere. Before that, I'd been to an under-21s game, which was only one half of the family stand, which is open. This was a fully packed bridge on a Wednesday night with the first team players. It was, yeah, it was, it was incredible. And going down the Fulham Road, Fulham Broadway tube is completely packed pubs beforehand completely packed it was it was really really enjoyable really enjoyable and you you just sort of soaked it in and you felt very much part of after all these years of just match of the day highlights and sitting in pubs watching games it, you did sort of really feel holy shit I'm in I'm in this I'm involved in this and yeah it was fucking great again another interesting insight there about the fans that just go because they can really as a fan who yes their family didn't support Chelsea but have been so passionate about it for so many years and not been lucky enough to be able to go. Is that a qualm you have with the fan base that there are those people who can just go and sit there, whereas you've not had the opportunity to? I think my qualm would be not with them, but in reality with the Premier League and the club. I think that it's not their fault that they have the money to go and maybe they should have more passion about it. But I think obviously if you get into a routine, then naturally you just get less excited because you're so used to it. And I think in reality, the cause of me not being able to go is the fact that the Prem and, and Chelsea being a bigger club charge 50 plus quid for a game and no struggling or even normal working family really can really afford that. So I think I, when I do go more, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like, even though they come here every week, should they not be more passionate and more interested and Yes, maybe they're not, but I think at the end of the day, the, the, the buck stops with the fact that Premier League and Chelsea charging tickets, which means that people from tough backgrounds and young fans who love the club are stuck to their sofas and match the day in the morning. I don't think I have a really have a qualm with them because it's sometimes just the way it is. And it's obviously so well documented, but something needs to be done about actually making these prices more affordable so you don't lose young fans and you don't also you lose the working class roots of football as a sport. You described so eloquently like how special it was 
going to Stamford Bridge for the first time. Chelsea have been there since 1905. Chelsea, as a club, were created to fill that ground in the first place. Mm-hmm. Could you ever foresee a situation where Chelsea would leave Stamford Bridge? Yeah. I mean, there's been so much talk in the last decade, basically, on, on that new stadium. And when Battersea Power Station was thrown around as a, as, a, as, an, as a ludicrous idea, you can never really predict where it's going to go. And you look at Everton, for instance, and Goodison. Goodison is the soul of that club and the heart of that club. But they're moving. And that's nothing against them. It's just they're looking to move to pastures new. They're looking to build themselves up to return to their sort of great heyday in the sort of 80s or so. So I wouldn't put it past Chelsea moving from the bridge in a couple of decades. It would obviously be a shame because it's been the stadium that I've grown up in. But in terms of looking forward, I almost think that my almost real Chelsea experience and almost awakening will be if I'm lucky enough to be a father and also lucky enough to have the money to go frequently I almost feel like that will be when I'm most invested and most in the Chelsea experience is in that period of my life and that could very well be in another stadium so it would be a shame if the bridge goes it would be fantastic if we stayed there forever and even if we develop it and make it bigger that would still be great that would almost be the ideal situation but if we move, we move, and I wouldn't be surprised if we do in a decade or so. Before we get on to Chelsea's on-pitch exploits, there's just that potential renovation that's coming forward. I think it's by the end of 2024, it's supposed to be around 60,000, isn't it, capacity? It's about 48,000 at the moment. The most likely option is you'll be playing at Wembley whilst the ground is being renovated. Yeah. Do you think the club will suffer in that time? I mean, Tottenham did struggle in terms of the Premier League performances at Wembley. I don't think we would. I think that at the end of the day, it falls down to the club and how it's made up and how it's operating and the manager and the players. And a change in stadium shouldn't hopefully impact the performances. I think that in comparison to Tottenham, who did struggle at Wembley, my impression of Chelsea and what's going on obviously could be completely wrong. But my impression is that the operation in terms of how the club is run is a bit more slick, aside from the 25 managers and 10 years that we've had our club is operating well enough and hopefully we are still performing at the level we are now and you know we might still have a lot of the younger players that we've got in the squad firing in all cylinders then I should hope that a year at Wembley shouldn't really cause much of an issue and hopefully yeah, as I said Wembley won't derail the club As you say your tenure as a Chelsea fan has coincided with the club's most successful period especially during those early years. Do you think you were grateful for that success? Definitely. I mean, yeah, 100%. You've got to be a fool to not be grateful for a success, especially when you're eight, nine years old. When you're watching Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard, John Terry, obviously, Ashley Cole, Ashley Cole just being the best left-back in the world, which he was at that time, and Petr Cech. When you're watching these sort of players and the things that we won, and the way we were doing it as well. You know, that, that first 04-05 season conceded 15 goals, which is incredible. You've got Iron Robin and Damien Duff on the wings absolutely causing havoc. It was incredibly exciting. And I, I'm always grateful because it was so great to watch, so exciting to watch, so enjoyable. You know, watching some of those FA Cup campaigns. I remember the first one back at the New Wembley against United with Didier Drogba scoring an extra time. And when he scored that, just running around my living room, shirt off, exposing my vest to the neighbours. Just, it was, it was incredible. I can imagine, I know the answer to this, but do you think all that success has been worth the turbulence and the not knowing and the insecurity that's happened throughout the last 20 years at Chelsea? 
the short the short answer is yes, it is worth it. And I think was going back to sort of what I was saying about the shithousery and you almost love the drama at Chelsea. Yes, it was incredibly exasperating and it still is the fact that we can't pin down a manager for basically more than three years. And of course, most of managers, particularly in that sort of from Scolari till till basically Conte, you know, we barely had a manager that lasted longer than a year or so. And and you know, and also these were big names. It was Scolari, Hiddink, Ancelotti, managers that should have been basically our manager for five plus years probably so of course it was exasperating but at the same time it was incredibly exciting and I think that's part of the thing of almost keeping you engaged as a kid particularly as I said when you don't have that uncle who's basically saying this is the club you support and this is why you support them the constant excitement of winning things great players challenging for titles but managers you know coming and going, Mourinho walking out the door after a draw against Rosenberg, throwing a hissy fit and just going out, you know, that's exciting. And then you, you also have the transfer rumours and being a 10-year-old kid and being like, oh, we're going to buy David Villa, we're going to buy Hulk, and we're going to buy Rubinho. I remember coming into assembly when Rubinho went to Man City and I'd gone to bed because I was 11 years old or so. I'd gone to bed when the, when the shirts had been printed, the deal was basically done. And I came into assembly and one of my mates said, oh, oh, I can't believe Rubinho's went to Man City. I couldn't believe it. I mean, my, my childhood, or, you know, Rubinho, he was a Brazilian winger. It would have been a dream. So, yeah, you have that just constant excitement of managers and who could you buy and all these transfer rumours and that constant excitement that kept you going, particularly through the summer when there was no football. It's still exciting because you're buying these players or you're in talks about these players. So, yeah, I think it was that level of success and the money that came before and with it did mean that you were just so engaged and, and just in love with what was going on, basically. Reflecting on Abramovich then and his tenure itself, money aside, do you think he's been a force for good for the club? I think with Abramovich, it's, it's, it's interesting because, as you say, money aside and sort of players aside, yes, there's been an element of certainly top-down power of... We can, we're not going to give our managers the time and we're not going to give the managers the freedom to bring in the people that they want. But I also think that, again, taking away the money, we have to remember that we were very much a bog-standard fifth, sixth, seventh club who won the occasional FA Cup, the occasional League Cup, European Cup Winners' Cup, which were great and fantastic achievements. But Abramovich and, and the sort of rejuvenation and the revamp, and I think the ambition as well that he brought which luckily was obviously backed up with his wallet. But I think that ambition you can't really ever fault. Again, without wanting to talk about Everton too much, I think Everton sort of are a bit of a period now because they've got an ambitious owner. They wouldn't have Carlo Ancelotti if they didn't have an ambitious owner. But I think with Abramovich, we can always be thankful for the fact that he was continuously striving for success. And yes, that meant that got in the way of managers and Scolari got sacked after nine months. So yes, there's that element of instability and that element of just ruthlessness, but the ambition, I think without it, we wouldn't have won that Champions League in 2012. We wouldn't have won the Premier League titles without an owner who was just striving for continued success and striving to hit the heights that we did. You speak about those heights then. When do you think you've been happiest as a Chelsea fan? Oh, in my friend's sitting room as we watched Didier Drogba's header go in against Bayern Munich is a moment that I will never, ever, 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 ever 
let go or forget that moment i think obviously there's a period where i was probably the happiest but that moment especially after you know i think it was about a week or so after we'd won the fa cup against liverpool it was a ridiculous couple of weeks but yeah the moment i was obviously the happiest was the age of header so i was certainly happiest then i think if you want a sort of period of when i was the happiest i think probably that sort of 08 to 012 time because I was a bit older, so I understood football more. I appreciated it a bit more, I think. I wasn't really interested in Manchester United DVD reviews by this point. I was completely, completely chills. And we had the Champions League final, which we obviously lost in 08, and we won it in 2012. And in between that, we won a Prem, we won an FA Cup or two. And that period where, <clears throat> even though we had some truly shocking players like Steve Sidwell and Khaled Boulay Rouge, um, <laughs> oh, just... Oh. Our number nines since Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank have been Steve Sidwell, Fernando Torres, Radamel Falcao and Khalid Boudarouge. Probably the worst crop of number nines you could have. But yeah, I think that period of 2008-2012 was probably when I was happiest as a Chelsea fan. Looking forwards then, the current period has been quite impressive I mean, for a number of reasons. Firstly, the transfer ban, so it's taken the pressure off the team a little bit. Also, now with the season not even ending, it's, it's, it's thrown everything up in the air. But you've got a relatively untested manager at the helm, lots of youth players in the first team. Has this period helped reassess Chelsea's priorities? Yeah, absolutely. And this period, I think, has also changed a lot of the opinions that I've spoken about quite a lot already about other fans. Because we've had that transfer ban, which have always been used against us. Oh, mate, you just buy the players that you want, which, yes, we did. But by having that transfer ban and, and having to take a risk on Lampard. I don't want anyone to say that we have not taken a risk on Lampard. The man has done one season as Derby manager. It was a ludicrously bold move. And I completely had my doubts when he started. But what he's done has been fantastic so far. I think what this period to me represents, and to me what it could mean, is the last 15 years, the whirlwind that's been the last 15 years of the spending and the manager's turnarounds, the turmoil, the victories, the cuts, etc. This, to me, almost appears like this is a key period where we can actually assert ourselves in the long term as the or one of the top clubs in England and in Europe. Because it's almost been off and on the last 15 years. We have had some amazing years. But we've had some years where we've been 10th in the Premier League or in the Europa League or we've barely got out of the groups in the Champions League. I feel like, and I hopefully this is what happens, I do feel like because we're taking a risk on our academy players, we're giving Lampard a go. It seems to me like this could be the chance for us to really actually assert some long-term dominance where we're not just relying on money. We're not just relying on, right, we need to buy a new striker. We need to bring in a new striker. This to me appears that it could be a time for us to really get the pieces in place for us to not have to rely on that. We don't have to go out into the market every summer and buy some big names because we've brought in our academy players, we've developed them into top players, we're taking longer with a manager and we're taking our time and we're building the foundations of a great club and a great squad akin to sort of United in the 90s or so. So I think this is an opportunity for longevity and I think that's why it's so interesting to watch and it's also so exciting. You say it is an opportunity for longevity, but will Lampard be given the time? I, I, I mean, of course, I'd love him to be. But I think the difficulty is, is that, and I think we are probably re- almost most responsible for this, but 
I can't really think of managers in the modern era, particularly at top clubs, really being given that much time anymore. I don't know how many owners are patient enough. Because in the, in the mid-2000s, we were the exception. We weren't the rule. We were very much, God, right, Chelsea have got another manager in, but everyone else is sort of sticking with their own. You know, Arsenal had Wenger for such a bad period from sort of 2005 onwards. But you look at them now, you know, even though I fast tested as well, they could very easily cycle through them. I think that we're in an age where if a manager is not doing well and seemingly there's no, there's no looking for them to turn that around, I think they will go irrespective of who they are. And so I think that as much as I love Lampard to stay, I love Lampard to build a dynasty like he did when he was a player of eight, ten years, maybe even longer, who knows, or even five years would be good for Chelsea. But I just don't know if we're in the climate right now and football's in the place right now for that. I, I think that if next season we don't get the Champions League and we have some shocking games and we just don't progress, I could see him going. I just think that that's where we are. That's where we've been at the, as a club for the last 15 years. But it's also how I think football is now, particularly in the Premier League. If anyone's going to have five years as Chelsea manager, it's going to be Lampard. Because we had opportunities of Conte. Conte should have stayed. Conte should still be our manager. Ancelotti should have probably even now still be our manager. And we didn't stick with them. So now is the time to do so. But am I positive about Lampard staying for longer than two, three years? If he doesn't perform, then I don't think he'll stay. We'll wrap up, as we always do on this podcast, is to go full circle back to the first question that I asked, which is, Raf, what does it mean to be a Chelsea fan? You are probably obsessed with winning and drama and excitement and being continuously surprised and excited by your club. I think it's the love of also being despised and ridiculed by a lot of other fans, but having that couldn't care less shithousery, which is also encapsulated by so many of the players and Mourinho and you just don't care. You're Chelsea, you're there to win, you're there to just cause shit and score beautiful goals and the the ambition, the ambition just continuously to beat the best clubs in the world. And I think that's what it means. Raf Marioni, thank you very much. Thank you very much, James. Thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Well, 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 that was Raf Marioni. Thank you to him for his honest assessments and jovial anecdotes. Raf will return at the weekend for his all-time Chelsea eleven, and will be back next week for Dan Hagar's Everton therapy session. Ta-ra.